You are listening to audio recorded at the Village Church. For more information, go to villagechurchbaltimore.com. So we've been going through the series through the book of James. And if you're new to our church, uh, every so often we do like different themed sermon series. We place a high value on preaching. But uh, my personal premise, I love to just preach through different books of the Bible. Because what that allows, and it's good for you to know this, what that allows is preachers can't just throw their agenda in there. So every preacher, you're human. So you got pet things that, yeah, you know what? Our church needs to hear this. And if you're not careful, you could say that like every week. But what preaching through a book of the Bible does, you kind of preach through what's there. And trust that that's what God wants to speak to his church. So that's why we're going through this book of James. And uh, if you've been here for a while, hopefully you've been sensing this theme that in James... It teaches us a lot about what it means to live this deeper journey of following Jesus. And in many ways, I think it's one of the most practical books in Scripture. Like, if you're not into kind of just like kind of theoretical, like, James just shows us how to live on this earth. Very real stuff. So today, today's sermon, we're looking at this passage, and it's got very real implications for life now. Just like the rest. But here's my hope as I've been praying, as I've been getting ready for a while here for today. My hope for you today, wherever your background is, wherever you're coming from, that what we're looking at in this passage, it helps to reveal the nature of life far beyond even the few short years we have on this earth. We're looking at eternal things here as James leads us through. So in that heart, can I ask you to pray with me? And can I ask you to pray this way? Maybe, I'm, maybe this sounds selfish, but I think it's a good stuff. Can I ask you to pray for me as I preach? And I don't know if you do that regularly, but whoever's up here, whether it's me or another pastor, pray for them. During the week, pray for them. And if that sounds self-centered, that's a good self-centered because it's for your benefit and for God's glory. Pray for your pastors. Pray for the preachers. Pray that we're not just being wise in our words, but it's God speaking whatever we need here. So can we take a quiet moment, Ryan? And can I ask you in whatever way you need to, can you pray for me even right now for a quiet moment? And I'll pray. Heavenly Father, um, in many ways we've been looking through James at what wisdom is. And God, I just have to imagine someone peering into this room would think this does not seem like a wise thing when there's so much that could be done in the world or to improve ourselves, to sit in a room with other people and listen to someone talk and, and to sing. It doesn't seem very wise or practical. But God, you're teaching us a wisdom that sometimes seems far foolish to the world but that we believe you're working through. And we give you praise for those stories we already know of how you're changing some of our lives, and and it's not an overnight thing, but you're working. So God, all we do is pray in faith as we give you this time. Speak to us as we need to hear. Encourage some of us who are feeling beaten down, Lord, feeling like we have no more hope left. Challenge some of us, Lord, who have gotten away from you. And, Lord, as we sang earlier, thank you for your love that pursues us. God, you don't get sick of us like we get sick of other people. God, you don't get tired of hearing from us like we get tired of hearing from other people. Lord, you're continuing to want to give us grace. So, Lord, let us come to that. As you run for us, let us run for you, Lord. Thank you for your word. And in Christ's name we pray. Amen. 
Amen. So we're just going to, we're going to be looking from chapter 40, end of it, into chapter 5, and we're going to divide it up here. So let me read from verse 13 of chapter 4. Come now, you who say, today or tomorrow we will go into such and such a town and spend a year there and trade and make a profit. Yet you, you, don't, you do not know what tomorrow will bring. What is your life? For you are a mist that appears for a little time and then vanishes. Instead, you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we will live and do this or that. As it is, you boast in your arrogance. All such boasting is evil. So whoever knows the right thing to do and fails to do it, for him it is sin. And we'll keep those verses up there. You can look at it as I'm, as I'm uh, preaching through. But we're looking at James 13, verse 13. James is most likely talking to merchants. He's talking to business people. He's talking to people who know how to make money. These are people, you give them time, you give them some resource, you give them startup, they will be successful. And for me... Maybe I just don't know enough people, other than the rare instances of people who've hit the lottery or maybe have rich family members, um, I have not heard of too many people who suddenly became wealthy just out of the blue. Usually people who can make money, they got a plan, or, or maybe they got strategy, they got a timeline, and James is speaking to those kind of people. He's speaking to people who know where they want to get to, know how to do it, and they've given themselves to do it. They got a plan. So I, I want to make clear here, before, before some of you get nervous here, um, what James is teaching here is not against having a plan or having a purpose. Um, this is just me. I, I work with a lot of people trying to start churches. I work with a lot of pastors. I work with a lot of Christians and consulting. And Some of the things that frustrates me to no end sometimes is that Christians sometimes got great ideas of how they want to change the world. But then you ask, so what's your plan to do that? Oh, well, I'm just going to trust God. Well, how are you going to use the resources you're asking people? We're just going to trust God. We're just going to love people. Um, And I'm not against trusting God and loving people. I'm not a heretic. But what I do believe is that God is not opposed to us being wise and having a plan, especially if you're asking people to invest in that, in their time and money and their resources. We better take that seriously. So um, this is not anti-planning. James is not anti-strategy. This is a matter of heart attitude. He's talking about heart attitude. He's talking about arrogance, uh, maybe a self-sufficiency. He's talking about the idea that says, I know where I'm going to get to, and I don't need anyone's help for me to get there. I got this. I can take care of it. As long as I got a fair shot, I'll be able to make it. Uh, Maybe another way we can say it is James is addressing those people who they're living life like God doesn't really matter. Um at least in those areas of personal affairs or business or professional. Like, we're okay with God when we got that, like, hour on Sundays. Okay, God, that's your time. I'll do all the Jesus singing, and I'll do the listening to sermon. Okay, that's your time, God. Um, But stay in that nice religious corner there, because i got to go get to work now. And you're not really going to help me there, because you're going to tell me to be things like humble and love my neighbor, and my neighbor stinks. I need If I'm going to make it, i got to grind. He's not really relevant for like the rest of the stuff outside of things we do here in the building. But what James is describing in, in verse 16 is an attitude of arrogant boasting. And maybe we can call that arrogant boasting. It's living our life apart from the very presence of God. It's saying, I got this. And you know, it's nice, God, if you're there, but I got this. In verse 14, verse 14 is not one of those things that I would... Um, encourage you to read quickly and just kind of move on. Verse 14 is one of those verses that you should kind of sit on and let it marinate in your soul for a little bit. It says, yet 
you do not know what tomorrow will bring. Yet you do not know what tomorrow will bring. It's meant to remind us of the fragile nature of this life. Life is very fragile. Um, there, I found this fascinating Twitter handle on, uh, on, on Twitter, a fascinating account, and it's called Daily Death Reminder. There, there's some weird stuff on Twitter. This account is called Daily Death Reminder, and since July 2016, for 656 days straight, this person, or maybe it's a Russian bot, I don't know, but they have sent out a daily tweet regularly saying one line, you will die someday. Every day. Your daily death reminder. And, and you know, some of us might think, well, that's not good for your self-esteem. And maybe not. But here's the thing, it's absolutely true. And sometimes we live life like it's not true. We think we're immortal. We think we're Marvel, right? We think we're like superhero. And um, I mean, there's a lot of things that divide people in this world right now. Politics, um, your color of your skin, your um, preferences in terms of different um, food items, you know, vegan or meat or... Yeah. Um, one thing common to every single person who has ever breathed life on this planet is that you will stop breathing one day and you will die. If you're new, you're like, man, this guy stinks. Why'd you say he can breathe? <laughs> Where's the guy that says this is my best life now today? I mean, the reality is that since you've stepped in this place today, you're about 45 minutes closer to death than you were when you first came in. <laughs> That's just reality. So <laughs> you're like, oh, no, this is one of those days. I love my Google Calendar. If you look at my calendar, it's like all blue because I got it all filled up with different stuff. I even put like my exercise in there. I love to plan things out. I love my schedule. I like planning, making sure I know what's coming. I, I want to know what's coming. I want to know what I'm going to be working on. I want to know who, what I'm going to be spending my time on, who I'm going to be spending my time with. I, I, I've got in my calendar, you know, worship is till about 1130. Um, hopefully not too much longer unless spirit just takes a sermon and quickly moment. But it's about 1130 and then a little time. And then around 12, I'm going to head over uh, to Lake Roland and just going to have this great time being outside and hanging out with some of our beloved servants. And then take a little break in the afternoon, maybe watch a little basketball, maybe get a little nap. And then, man, later on tonight, get to hang out with some more people from church and just spend time together. And then tomorrow morning, get to get up, go exercise. And then from there, I'm going to go have a staff meeting and just, man, this is going to be great. Um, none of that's guaranteed. Five minutes from now is not guaranteed. Next year is definitely not guaranteed. The reality is I should have a plan, but in nowhere in scripture is my tomorrow guaranteed at all. Heck, I mean, nowhere in scripture is my next 10 minutes guaranteed. And it's, again, what he writes in verse 14. What is your life? For you are a mist that appears for a little time and then vanishes. And the mist he's describing is for, for us who live here in cold Baltimore, and this winter's been way too long and cold. It's like those days when you go outside and you go, ah. my kids love that, right? They try to catch it. When they're getting smarter now, they know you can't catch it. But when you're little, you ah, try to grab it. It's like, okay, where'd that go? I, I just saw it. I know it was there. It's like saying life is like that. It seems so real. It seems so permanent. But boom, all of a sudden, it's not there. It's as if it never existed. And here's the thing. I think the challenge for a passage like this for most of us here, 
um, is a lot of you are way too young. You are superheroes. You don't think about mortality at all because you're like, yo, I'm 20. I got at least like 50, 60, 70. Maybe, maybe by the time I'm that age, they're going to make it into like 150s. I might have robotic parts, but I'm going to keep going. I mean, we, you just don't think about mortality. When I was 20, 30 even, I didn't think about mortality. But wisdom is wherever you are in life, acknowledging that is the destination for every single one of us, whether it's a lot closer or it's a lot farther. But we don't even know tomorrow. The point, yeah, bye-bye. <laughs> <laughs> that's the Holy Spirit giving you a word right there Say, every one of y'all bye bye <laughs> we, we try to have fun with the word of God too my point is not to paralyze you into a state of unhealthy fear my point is not for you to hide in your room and say oh man that preacher said that it could happen today I'm not going to step in front of these buses because they're crazy in Baltimore. Rather, I want you to have an accurate assessment of your life so that you would properly live in wisdom. That, that's my goal. Look at verse 17. It says, So whoever knows the right thing to do and fails to do it, for him it is sin. And for some of us, and we're trying to help you get out of this, some of us, maybe it's your background, but you've been conditioned to approach the Christian life as avoiding the bad stuff because that's all it was, was when you were growing up or what you observed. You're like, okay, Christianity's all about not, just not doing all the fun stuff all my friends do because I'm a good Christian. And that's all it's ever been. So everyone else is doing this, so I'm not going to go there. I'm not going to take that in. I'm not going to see those things. And that's all Christian life is. No wonder, like, you've hated it. <laughs> That's miserable, just trying to avoid bad stuff. But that's part of it, but that's not the only part of it because the Christian ethic is never just avoiding wrong. That's part of it, but it's also actively doing right. It's both denying wrong, but it's also intentionally doing right. So in fancier language, that's called the sins of commission and sins of omission. Sins of commission, commission, those are things that you do that are maybe sin. So Bible says, do not kill. You kill, that's sin. But sins of omission, it's a little bit more nuanced. It's a little harder. The sins of omission are things that we're not doing, that maybe you're not doing anything bad, but God has commanded you to do things, and you're not doing it. So when God has said things like, love your neighbor, and you're like, okay, I'm not out there killing anyone. I'm, not, I'm, I'm, I'm obeying all the commandments. I haven't committed adultery. I'm not, I haven't stolen from my neighbor. But if you have not actively loved your neighbor as yourself, perhaps that's a sin of omission. So James is saying, you got to keep that in mind here. If you know these things about God, and you know these things about yourself, if you know this idea and you're hearing here that tomorrow is not guaranteed for any of us, that your life is like this mist. Oh, it vanishes, how then will you approach the time that you have been given then? If you know these things, and if you're starting to believe, the Holy Spirit is taking these words and starting to convince you that maybe this is real, if you acknowledge this, if you own it, how then will you now live the years you have been given? Maybe it's one, maybe it's 10, maybe it's 50, maybe for some of you it's 80 more. How will you now use the years you have been given if you know that your life is dismissed. 
Because not knowing what tomorrow brings, it should impact how we live today. And I think recognizing that this is what life should be, this is what leads us to tangible expressions of our life now. Um, I'm going to suggest it means living like God is real. And that might sound like so stupid. You're like, of course. I'm, how many of us, like God is basically like, we don't, it, it's like we're little kids that do the peekaboo. You ever seen that with little kids? Like you're in the house with them and you're around the corner. And when they like below, like the age of probably two or three, they forget you're there, right? You go around the corner, they're like, where are you? And you pop out, peekaboo, like, ah! and then you go back around the corner again. They're like, ah, where'd you go? Ah, peekaboo. It's like we treat God like that sometimes. Like if we don't tangibly see him, if we're not in a worship service, if we're not doing the quote-unquote Christian thing, oh, he's not as real. But living with this kind of wisdom is that, is that he's real everywhere. He's all-knowing. He's, he's always present. And, and if it's God who, as he's described himself in his revealed word, it means living this life in light of eternity. It means living life in light of eternity. So James then gives a practical application in the following section, starting chapter 5. Let me read that for us. Starting in verse 1. Come now, you rich, weep and howl for the miseries that are coming upon you. Your riches have rotted and your garments are moth-eaten. Your gold and silver have corroded and their corrosion will be evidence against you and will eat your flesh like fire. You have laid up treasure in the last days. Behold, the wages of the laborers who mowed your fields, which you kept back by fraud, are crying out against you. And the cries of the harvesters have reached the ears of the Lord of hosts. You have lived on the earth in luxury and in self-indulgence. You have fattened your hearts in the day of slaughter. You have condemned and murdered the righteous person. He does not resist you. So James is probably writing to landowners. He's, he's writing to people who own pieces of land. And if you own pieces of land, you have people who were working for you. So he's writing, just to boil it down, he's writing to people who've gotten rich off the back of other people. He's writing to people who've committed injustice. And this is a side note, but a very important side note. I, I think there's some real, real relevant instruction and wisdom for us when we talk about, um, I would say, our country's horrific um, legacy of slavery, particularly among people of black and brown skin. Here's why I'm saying that. I don't think there's too many out there now that'll say, oh, well, slavery was pretty good. I mean, unless you're like KKK, right? If you KKK here, we love you, right? Hope you experience Jesus. I don't think anyone would, most people would say, oh, yeah, slavery was, yeah, that was pretty good. But Here's the danger. There are some people who will even use good biblical understanding, who will even use good theological understanding of who God is, beautiful, wonderful notions like the sovereignty of God, the providence of God, God is in control. They will use things to kind of twist history to say, well, you know what? Slavery wasn't really all that bad because God was using it. He's in control, so it must have been part of God's plan. Hey, actually, I think it... I think it, it, it provided opportunities for some people that they wouldn't have had. I mean, there was just that even that news report out of um, a, a, a school recently where someone, a teacher, had given out an assignment saying, let's have a balanced view of slavery, so give me the pros and cons. We need to be very clear here. There are no pros of slavery. Amen. There are no pros of slavery. We believe God can use and work through every single situation, but it doesn't mean that he was uh, pleased with it. It's evil. Evil. And you've got to be mindful of some people whose theology is going to seem impeccable, 
who will even use certain biblical passages to defend why this was a good thing that these people needed. You need to repudiate that with every ounce of biblical understanding you have and say, no, it was evil, but it shows how good God is that he can even use a jacked up country like that for his own glory and purposes. Just side note, but I think it's an important side note here. Because when we see in here and other parts of scripture, uh, God clearly denounces those who use others for their benefit. Like slavery, like trafficking, like sweatshops. And you might like that you can get your shirt at Walmart for how many dollars, but if it's built on the backs of those who've given up their life for that, you need to question. And notice here, this is spoken of in future tense. James is kind of writing what will happen. It hasn't happened yet. He's talking about the riches, their riches and their valuable things. It's not corroded yet. It's not dissolved yet. It's still looking good. In the present day, these folks might look like they're actually getting away with this. They're like, yeah, James, write all you want, but I'm living large. Yet all of this eventual rotting corrosion, it's not yet occurred. They're still rolling. I mean, they're still big ballers here. They, they live in the life. Basically, James is calling out those who are getting rich off the backs and suffering of others. Those whose lives of excess and privilege have come at the expense, even death, of others. And James is saying, all right, big baller, you live in large today, but check yourself. You a mist, so you better get this right. Here's my warning to you. You are a mist, and you think you're living large. You think you're getting rich. You think no one's going to do anything about it because you got all the lawmakers in your back pocket. you getting filthy rich. Everyone bows down to you. Check yourself. There's a day coming when it's not going to be like that because you're like, oh, a mist. And maybe some of you resonate with that. You are like a social justice type, right? You love sermons like this. You're like, yeah, get him, preacher. Preach, preacher, you know, call out those big stores that, that sell sweatshop labor and tell them judgment is coming. I make my own clothes. <laughs> but guys, humility, wisdom is also asking, do these truths speak into my own life as well? I'm, I'm going to guess, I, I could be reaching here. I'm going to guess not many of you have a secret sweatshop in your basement. I hope not. If you do, let's talk, because I do want to counsel you through that. Um, but how is God speaking into your life? What does it look like for you with these general truths to live in, life of, in, in the light of eternity? So let's just break it down here. Like, real, real, break it down. Um, if you believe this life, and I'm not assuming anything about it, but if you believe this life is just about these years that we live on this earth, whether it's 40, 50, 60, 70, 80, 90, 100... I'm going to say, don't share what you have. You're like, are you a pastor? Did he just if you believe this life is just about this, why would you share what you have? I mean, I guess the good person, whether they're religious or not, they're going to try to give the charity because, you know, they see how it helps their fellow human being. And, and honestly, you know, it, you, you just feel good when you help someone, right? You, you feel good. But really, if it's just about these few short years... I say, make the most that you can. Store it up for yourself. 
keep it all for yourself. Because if that's your approach to life, that this is all that it is, this is all the reward we get. What you earn is what you get. This is ultimately your price. So if that's your price, get as much as you can and keep as much of it for for yourself as you can as well. Make the most of it. Live a good life. Live a comfortable life. Live a fun life. Buy everything you've ever desired. I'm I'm not even trying to be facetious here. That's what I would do. I'm, I'm just being honest here. That's what I would do. If it's just about these few short years and this is it and it ends here, heck, I'm gonna use this to its max. But if in faith, God is leading you to recognize that maybe life is more than just a few short years he's given you on this earth. And, and I know for some of you who are 20 right now, it feels like a lot of years ahead of you. But the older you get, they start running down real quick. Ask anyone in here who's 40 and up, and they will tell you, I, 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 I thought that just was like last year. That was 20 years ago. What? <laughs> My kids, I swore they couldn't talk, and now they're going to college. What? Like, you don't, under, you don't believe it's true. It's, it's one of those hard things to hear from someone telling you it's true because you haven't been there yet, and you don't fully agree. Even though everyone who's at that stage, they will say amen. You're like, no, it'll be different for me. But man, life gets short real quick. So if you're believing what the Lord is speaking through James here, that life is like this mist, and that tomorrow's not guaranteed— Live like that. Live like that today. It doesn't mean that this life is not precious. I'm not one of those guys who says, well, everything here is just going to go to rot, so it doesn't matter what. No, I believe this life here that God gives is very precious. It's very real. But we view it in proper perspective and wisdom. So how does, it, how does that impact how you view your resources? For some of you, how does it impact how you view your time, your relationships, How do you treat your relationships? How do you treat your family? How do you treat your work? How do you treat your neighbors differently if you know that maybe this is the last day I got? And I'm not trying to be morbid here. I'm trying to lead us in biblical wisdom because that's what James is trying to do. But I think it's also got to affect how you view your money. And I don't think it's an accident that a lot of the passage here both are centered on this idea of money and people make it or not make it and how you give it away. Hear me clearly. I am not anti-saving. I am not anti-rainy day fund. Because some of y'all in the financial peace class here right now, you're like, yo, he's contradicting everything we heard. Um, I don't think retirement fund is of the devil. I, I, I don't. I think those are all good aspects of stewardship and wisdom. So don't get nervous like all you financial peace folks, Dave Ramsey. Don't get nervous. I'm not saying that. Keep planning. Keep saving. That can be a very good thing. But here's what I am saying. Your ability to share what you have reveals your trust in God. Maybe more than anything, your ability to share what you have that you would say is yours, that best reveals functionally your faith and trust in God. Another way to say it, how you give shows how real God is to you. And don't just think theoretically. Like, really, look at your statements. Look at your, how you give best shows how real God is to you. So, some of y'all in here, and I don't understand you, but I trust God. Some of you have this gift of giving. And what the gift of giving is, like, you are, you thrive when you give. You think of ways you can give more. Like, you, you see the pleasure of God when you give more. You, you're asking, is there any more ways I can give money? Um, and some of you are like, there's a gift like that? There's, like, some people that, like, they, they, they feel like, yeah. I mean, 
That, that, it's a spiritual gift. But if it doesn't come naturally to you, actively practice the discipline of giving. If you're going to have a takeaway here, actively find some ways for you to practice how you are going to give. And, and one of the reasons why we talk about giving at our church, again, some of you, if you're coming from a church background where you had shady people who they ask you to give all the time, offering plate goes around like five times till they get what they need, and then you see the pastor rolling in like big escalade, you're like, well, okay, something's not quite right here. Ignore me for like a minute here. But we talk about giving a lot here because ultimately, how can we talk about your soul? How can we talk about becoming more like Jesus and we skirt over, which is probably one of the most impactful areas of your life, which is your finances. It would be irresponsible for us to not talk about it. So at our church, when we talk about you giving your offering, it's not just to pay the bills. And we joke about that sometimes, right? Like, oh, it'd be nice to have heat. It'd be nice to have some heat. Boiling water is a good thing. I mean, that's real. But I'll, I'll tell you this, if by some magic Jesus dust fairy, we suddenly had all our bills paid for the next 20 years and over, we would still ask you to give. Because it's not just about the needs, it's about your heart. It's about you growing to be more and more like Jesus. So we want you to give. Because here's the thing, and you're not, if you don't have money, you're listening to this, you're thinking this guy's a total like charlatan. There's no way this can be true. If we don't have money, we have this mental image that if I suddenly get a lot of money, my life is going to be so good. And I'm not an idiot. I'm not saying having no money is a blessing. We need money. But we got we to gotta understand here, God wants to free you. Because we have this cultural mentality. The more money I can get, hey, the more I'm free, I'm going to feel. You talk to anyone who's making more and more money, they feel more stressed. They feel more pressure. They feel this pressure to have to keep it going because it's never enough. It's never enough. God wants you to experience freedom. So let's make it very practical. If some of you have the gift of giving, praise God. Keep doing it. You are like, this is, you're like, yeah, this is the kind of preaching we need to hear every week. I give, give. Um, If you're like me, and giving, like, you know it's good, but it's like, oh, it just doesn't feel that very natural. I don't even know. Often, are they going to use it well? Like, I always ask that question. Practicing to give it away is what leads me to Christ. Usually, it hasn't happened by me feeling convicted it's a good thing to do. But as I actively give, even if I don't fully feel it, as I put that money in, as I give a gift to someone, as I give to the church, God uses that to show me kind of hard, isn't it? <laughs> Wow, that's difficult, isn't it? Your heart doesn't really want to let go of that, does it? That's why you still need me, because you're not as generous as a Christ follower is supposed to be. You need me. This is showing you that you're still ruled by those things. I want you to be free from it, so give. And as it's hard to give, that's what's going to bring you to your face. Saying, Lord, I'm not as generous as I thought I was. Lord, I put conditions on people. Lord, I'm not as free with these things. Lord, my hands are clenched pretty tightly here. Lord, free me. Free my heart, free my hands. Because this is all about freedom here, guys. Because I, I don't know if, I'm not going to read the passage again, but you read it on your own. Get out of your Jesus lens and read it. Without Jesus Christ, the passage we read today is horrifying. Without Christ in your life, the verses we read today are a nightmare. Unlike Stephen King level. It's saying, you've put your whole investment in this life, but it's like a mist. It's going to be gone before you know it. And if you've made money off people, oh, God's going to judge. It's horrifying without Christ in the midst of it. 
But with Christ, it's an invitation to life. With Christ, it's an invitation to see where you are and see the mercy and the generosity of Jesus. Because Jesus is never just trying to take from you. He wants to give you true life as it was meant to be lived. Because if you're like me and it's hard to give, what draws me to the cross is to understand my Savior. His name's Jesus Christ. And though he had everything and he had a right to cling on to it his whole life, what we found him doing was giving it all away. Giving his time. Giving his love. Giving his compassion. Giving his tears. Giving his friendship. And ultimately, even giving his life on a thing called a cross. Why? So he could give life to a bunch of people like you and me who aren't seeking it, who run away, who aren't generous, who don't want to share. And he says, here, take, receive, get more of me, because that's how you can be generous. That's how you can be more like me. And know that Jesus gave away everything he had so we could receive everything in him. Trust him today with your life. He doesn't want to take from you. Some of you, you got some skeptical side like me, and you think churches are always just trying to take, take, take from you. Some are. <laughs> Let's just be real. But I'll tell you the message of the gospel is Jesus doesn't want to just take from you. He's going to ask your life, but he wants to give you the best life you're supposed to be living in him. Stand with me. And I'm going to invite you as our music team leads us to sing. We're going to have time that we can pray. We're also going to have the time here, up here with the table. And for us, when we talk about the Lord's Supper, we talk about communion. This is something we do every week, but it's because we need to be reminded every week. We leak. We leak the knowledge of Jesus. So we come here. If you're a Christian, during this time you come up, take a piece of the bread, the wafer. You can come up both aisles. Come up to the table at the same time. Dip it in the cup. Remember the broken body of Jesus that he shared so generously with people who are going to deny him in another day. Isn't that insane? Jesus knew people were going to fail him. And what does he do? Here's my body. Take it. Eat of it. All these people were scrubs who were going to say, I didn't even know the guy. What does he do? Gives them the cup and say, have your sins forgiven. Drink of my blood. Be shed of your sins and be cleansed and redeemed. He was always sharing himself. And that's the only way we're made whole when we find ourselves in him. So if you're a Christian, I want to invite you up here. Receive the Lord's Supper. It's not a magical thing, but we believe it points us to Christ. If you're not a Christian, I want to invite you in this time. I say this in full, full love, and you got to hear this. Some of the verses here sounded harsh. It just does. Again, without Christ, this is horrifying that your life is over and it's done, and there's just judgment. But Christ wants you to experience life in Him. And I want to invite you to receive Jesus. What that simply means is saying, Jesus, Forgive me, I am a sinner. I thought I was a good person, but I realize your standard is way above mine. I'm not generous. I don't want to share with people. But Lord, you're reminding me that you shared with me. So I want that life. I want that life. So confess that you're separated from God and receive his free gift of life that was free to everyone except for Jesus. He gave a lot for it. And if that's you, maybe you can come up, receive communion as a follower of Jesus as well. But I'm going to also invite you, if you are a Christian, before you come up here, maybe make some commitments before the Lord today. What's a step you can take that you can be freed from holding on to your things? A step of giving, a step of generosity, become more like the Christ and live that out. Lord, help us. 
we thank you, God, that you are good and you're so generous. And Lord, if we ever think you're stingy, would you rebuke us and help us to repent right there because you are the most generous. And we don't even, we're not even aware of all the ways you've been so generous when we don't even know what's going on. And sometimes you give us the glimpse of your generosity and you showed us the glimpse of the Christ giving his life freely for us at great cost to himself. And Lord, we, we bring ourselves on our face before you saying, change our hearts that we would live as if tomorrow's not guaranteed, but if you've given us one more day, it's all for you, and we're going to bless someone else, Lord. We're going to bless maybe someone in need. Lord, we're going to bless one of these missionaries, one of these campus workers. We're going to give to the church. We're going to give to our neighbor. We're going to give to our family member in this church who is struggling. We are going to give because we believe it's not just about this earth. So help us to live that way, Lord, in light of eternity. So we thank you, Lord. So I invite you to pray. Come receive communion. But yeah, take some time with God to bring your, bring your stuff before the Lord. And let's sing, pray, and meet with Christ at the table.